With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Podcast ain't played nobody. The hurry up comes in from the cold. That's not a reference to KGB agents or Russian diplomacy. That's a reference to... That it's fucking cold. Oh, dude. Yeah, shout out to Bloomington. Obviously, I was there yesterday, part of our home field banner society meetup. But uh, that was some brutal weather. Thank you, Midwest. I appreciate and respect you. What was there yesterday is now in in New York. Yeah, well, and that's why I'm in Tennessee. Richard, let's talk about some real ass playoff teams. As the list has grown shorter. Uh, yesterday, LSU beat Arkansas fifty six to twenty. And also, for the second consecutive week because we bring you all the important statistical news here on Podcast Ain't Play Nobody, LSU left their second rivalry trophy on the field in as many <laughs> weeks. I like, I like this attitude so much. Ohio State beat Penn State 28-17. Obviously, we'll dive into that in a second. Your Clemson Tigers were on a bye. Georgia just drug its ass on the rug for four hours with another team seemingly hellbound to do the same, 19-13 over A&M. We call I don't one. care. I don't care if Georgia wins the SEC championship game, but if that game ends in the teens, I will scream. <laughs> Alabama won 66-3 over Western Carolina. Utah beats Arizona 35-7. to Utah, we'll talk about them in a second. Oklahoma is a 28-24 winner over TCU. Minnesota beat Northwestern 38-22 and Baylor. Beat Texas 24 to 10. Welcome. We've got a more crowded good teams out of it listing. We'll start with those Penn State Nittany Lions. Obviously, they lost to Ohio State, as we just mentioned. Oregon lost 31 to 28 to Arizona State in prime time. Maybe cutting all of the Pac-12 out of the race, depending on how things shake. Because we've spoken for weeks about how Oregon and Utah needed the other to be as powerful as possible going into the conference title game. They lost to the Sun Devils. Utah is still technically alive. We shall see how all of this shakes out. Florida was on a bye. Notre Dame beat BC 40-7. Wisconsin beat Purdue 45-24. Michigan beat Indiana. I was there. I synced it uh, 39-14. In the group of five, top five. Again, I'm uh, everyone, I get at least one mention on one of the social platforms a week. I'm now doing this. It's not my bias. It's where they fall in the college football ranking. Because the Steve. only reason we're doing the G5 <laughs> Unquote, top five. Stephen Godfrey's G5 rankings, close quote. Yes, because the only reason we're doing this is I'm just trying to, we're just trying to sort of lay out on the table for y'all the teams that are likeliest to get that bid since college football playoff is a crooked system that absolutely hates the group of five. Memphis beat USF 49 to 10. Cincinnati beat Temple 15 to 13. There you go again, Cincy. 
Boise State smacked Utah State. 56-21 isn't even indicative of how bad it was in the first half. App beat Texas State 35-13, and SMU was the fifth team as of last week's rankings. They lost to the team that I assume will be the fifth team now. Right. It's time for the playoff committee to respect the troops. I mean, seriously. Uh, SMU loses to Navy 35-28. to uh, Richard, I have assembled some minor things that I would like to discuss. Um, so I did up and back, came up very, very late Friday night into Bloomington. They were wonderful people. Again, shout out. Um, I, I'll talk about this game super fast. Um, I was really, really impressed with Michigan. Um, I was very impressed with the past game. Spencer Hall and I were at the game together, and we laughed when Patterson sort of in, inexplicably threw one duck, I want to say at some point in the second quarter, and then the next eight passes were just beautiful ropes. Um, this is a different Josh Gaddis offense. I would be fascinated to know why. I don't um, – so, so I, and look, spoiler, this is our minority coordinator of the week checkup. Um, and they, they rolled yesterday after after kind of poking and prodding in the beginning there. I, I don't think Michigan's doing anything demonstrably different on offense. What I think they're doing is, like I said on the Thursday show, is executing the plan. Like, this is a team that... You know, you install a new offense, it takes a little bit to gel. I think it took a lot longer than a lot of us would think, given the talent. Yeah. But it is certainly coming together at the perfect time. Uh, Shea Patterson had enough time to make a sandwich in the pocket uh, yesterday and throw absolute darts. Um, Do you know what he did? He stayed in the pocket a lot. They're gelling. I I think his decision making has improved tremendously. They're gelling, so they may only lose to Ohio State by two touchdowns. Um, Couple Mia culpas. I meant nothing but nice Michigan fans. That was weird. Um, I mean, nothing but the most cordial people in the world with their funny little accents. And by the way, I, I know I was miserable yesterday changing layers and all that stuff because I was getting the confirmation from other from Michigan people who were like, yeah, this is pretty bad. And so, like, not even Detroit area Michigan fans, like Michigan fans from like further up the hand. And I'm like, oh, okay. So if you're miserable, I feel like I feel qualified to be miserable. This isn't just like look at the redneck kind of moment. Um, this Michigan team, one other observation, I, 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 it just, if it sounds dumb, that's fine, but I just want to say it. They have way more team speed than I thought. Oh yeah, that, yeah, man. Those receivers fly around when, when, when they were doing man beater stuff and especially the throws to the sidelines, which was a lot of what Patterson was doing, like they can scoot for lack of a better term. They can go. And they had some of the Alabama take a glance route, which is basically a longer slant route, like a five to eight yard slant route. They like take a glance route, sixty yards. Like they had yes, a little bit of yes. that in them yesterday yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very good on special teams too. Just um, really, really impressed. I mean, and here's the thing: just real fast before we move on, Indiana is still. Spencer wrote about them yesterday in the top whatever. Um, the the Indiana motto going around the, the home field tailgate is, I think, as as beautiful an encapsulation of college football as you can get, which is be bad or be interesting. That's Indiana football, and they are <laughs> they are not bad. They are very interesting. They are very banged up. They are missing a quarterback in their rotation. I don't think that WAP was a hundred percent, but I I am praying. This is so weird to say that Indiana makes the Music City Bowl so I can go see this team against, like, maybe Kentucky. Like, how insane would that be for rivalry? Um, okay. We are an Indiana and Illinois podcast. How the hell did that happen? Um, okay, Richard, I then came back to Nashville. It was about 260 miles. 
um, and was trying to sort of get glimpses of what happened with Oregon. I got a, a strong enough phone signal to drive and stream YouTube at the same time for the last five minutes of the game. I'm telling your wife. That's, yeah, well, that's fine. She'll find out. She doesn't listen to the show. Um, the last five minutes of this game were super exciting, but I don't really feel like I was informed on what the hell happened here. Like, what? I, you, you watched the worst part of the game. Okay. Because you watched the part of the game when Oregon played well. Um, yes. I'm so, like, Justin Herbert was, for the first three quarters of that game, was bad, 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 bad. I mean, like, he threw two picks. The first one was the sprint out to the right where he padded, 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 padded. The field's already cut in half because he sprinted out to the right, outside of the pocket, uh, to the side of his handedness, and... He just threw it to, and the DB made a break on it, made a pick. Now, the second one was a fumbled snap, or an almost fumbled snap, and he kind of picks his head up, and he throws where I think he thought a wide receiver was going to be, but the wide receiver got rerouted until he wasn't there, and he ended up throwing it to the linebacker. That was kind of weird. He should have had a third pick that bounced off of a DB's chest later on in the game. Justin Herbert was flat-out outplayed by Jaden Daniels on the other side. Daniels' deep ball was gorgeous. Oh, wow. my goodness. I So, last year, I did a story on Kyler Murray when Kyler was really taken off, and I talked to Trent Dilfer about Kyler Murray's throwing mechanics because the question that I had for, for Trent was, like, Kyler doesn't, like, stride into the ball when he makes a deep throw. And Trent Dilfer told me, he was like, look, great spinners of the football, guys that can generate a lot of velocity by by putting a ton of spin on the ball, um, they don't stride. They kind of do what more looks like a punch step. Kind of like if you can picture Aaron Rodgers in your head just, like, flinging the ball like he does. Um, That's a little bit like what Jaden Daniels looked like. It looked like an Aaron Rodgers, a Kyler Murray. He just kind of kind of fires that back hip into it and absolutely spins the thing. Um, so he, he played really well last night, obviously. Arizona State played really well uh, for like three and a half quarters until Oregon started kind of roaring back and actually started figuring things out. Uh, but it was truly too little too late in that game. And, and again, Herm has it. Herm has a foundation for what Arizona State could be if they want to kick on and take a next step under Herm in in what'll be year three next year. Man, I'm just pausing to think about, we'll have to do some off-season referendums on recent coaching hires. We've Our hands kind of been forced in season with like Chad Morris and Willie yes, Taggart. Fired but, some guys. but Herm, I mean, there were there were identifiable rounds of publicity around Herm, but the, the goofy indignation part uh, needs to be addressed because... Everybody was wrong. Everybody it was totally, now, your totally boy wasn't. Wrong. Look it up. I'm pretty sure I abstained on that one. The only thing I had your boy went the out time. there. Your boy went out there and wrote the feature. Yes, you. Yes, you did. There were a couple other people I remember. Well, I mean, they went through publicity rounds once he got hired. Of I think trying to. They weren't even trying to argue. They were just trying to say, "Hey, look, this isn't as insane as you might think." And yes. Here's why? Yes. That that was that was the crux of my story, and that was what Arizona State was really trying to do with their PR push in the, I guess, the spring after Herm got hired. It was, mm-hmm. "Hey, it's not that weird," which is what I went out there and wrote because it wasn't, and it clearly isn't. Given they're going to a bowl game again, look like the more complete, obviously, Arizona football team. But Lord knows what's going to happen on Saturday, territorial. Um, but yeah, Herm's got it at least. Step one complete. 
curious what how we frame Oregon as well at the end of this. I mean, obviously with with Herbert coming back, um, this was a this was a, a built for a run, and I'm not saying they fall apart or anything like that. But I mean, this was this was a striking year to get into the playoff. They obviously won't. So um, all the turmoil that that program's had in coaching inconsistency, I don't expect much of a drop. I mean, obviously they're going to keep Mario and all that stuff, but like this this is a big loss for them. I mean, this was this this could have been even if they got to the playoff, Richard, and got smacked around by LSU. It still would have been, hey guys, we're back, we're back. However, what was that 2014 playoff? They went to the national title game. Like you know, we survived a lot. We recalibrated. We're back, and they're still sort of outside the cusp. So, all right, uh, Richard, Penn State, Ohio State, pretty much descript, and uh, that Chase Young is not bad at tackle football. Woo, buddy! I mean, it, like Woo. the first snap of the game, he got a hand on the quarterback and almost made a sack. I mean, it, he. He had he had some good rest over the last two weeks. He clearly got a few full nights sleep and was raring ready to go. Um, the only time Penn State looked like they had a pulse in this game was when Ohio State let them back in this game, which we'll get to in a second, and they had a backup quarterback in the game that Ohio State clearly had not game planned for because he's the backup quarterback, and it changed the way Penn State uh, attacked on offense. Penn State had a plus one in the run game with the quarterback in the run game. Uh, they were running some like QB dart stuff with Lee, with Will Levis, which is basically power with a tackle where the tackle pulls um, to the other side of the line instead of the guard. Um, and Ohio State wasn't ready for that. Hey, how could you be ready for that? This is when when backup quarterbacks come into games and they look like they're like blacking out and just making plays. It's <laughs> a lot of the reason is because defenses don't know what they're doing because they literally don't know, don't what, know they're what they're doing. doing. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they're like, we haven't seen this guy. We we game plan for one thing for the last six days. We don't know what this is. Um, Penn State only had one drive drive in this game, and it's this drive when Levis came in after Clifford got hurt. Uh, the, the other touchdown came on a short field. You know when you sit with your buddies and you're like, we're down a lot, we're getting our ass kicked. If we get three fumbles in a row and score three quick touchdowns, we're right back in it. That's, and that's, that's what happened. That's what Penn State did. That's exactly what Penn State did. Um, it was it was really fun to watch. I will give Penn State's defense a lot of credit. Penn State's run defense absolutely bowed up in the second half of this game, uh, and and looked like the at least the run defense that we thought it was going to be. Ohio State took some deep shots that they did not click on that the top came off Penn State's defense, but they were just passes that weren't caught. Uh, mm-hmm. Penn State's fourth down decisions, my gracious. Uh, the first one was bad. The second one, I thought wasn't that bad, and I'm talking about the punts and plus territory that Penn State had in the early part of this game, but still, you probably left an opportunity to get points on the board there, Um, but let us not overlook Ohio State beating themselves here. Justin Fields, fumbles go into the end zone. There was a holding penalty on a drive in the second quarter that was nearest to to field goal range, and it put him out of field goal range. There was an illegal formation uh, late in the second quarter that uh, also put them out of field goal range at that time. Ohio State did a little bit of beating of themselves in this game, or this game would have been a, a little bit worse than it looked on the scoreboard. I, I don't think this would have been a, you know, a twenty-eight point win, but it probably would have been like a, a, a seventeen or a twenty, something that looks a lot more comfortable when you're just scrolling through box scores than, huh, eleven points at home. Hmm. Okay, so we feel comfortable. I mean, inarguably, based on what we know and the things that we believe. Uh, I mean, this isn't about turnover luck. This was Ohio State giving Penn State the game back. That's safe to say as a narrative point. 
Ohio State left. I mean, there's no other. Open. There's no other way to describe three three turnovers that quickly in succession. That or I should say points. two two actual turnovers, and the third was a maybe turnover that was turned over by review. I should be clear. That. Right. Um. So there's that. Was there upon review with Chase Young back? I still believe there wasn't much Penn State was going to do to out scheme, out prepare, out talent Ohio State. Therefore, we didn't expect them to win this game. Therefore, this was about what we. This is kind of what we signed up for. The and golf, the the golf between Penn State and a normal-ish one dumb loss Ohio State is not that. I mean, Penn State's won the game in recent years. You know what I mean, like, but the gap between anybody, the gap between 128 college football teams and this Ohio State team is going to be pretty big because Ohio State's the best and most complete team in the country. There are only like two to three teams in college football that I really think can beat this Ohio State team. They're insane. They're made of modular parts, too, which is even more terrifying because you don't normally see that when you're at the very top. You know, you don't you normally see programs that crave and feed off of consistency like Alabama, where you have to. Sorry for the pun, but you you roll through recruiting classes, you develop to a style, you recruit to a style. And Ohio State is not like that. Ohio State can just reassemble its form like some sort of supervillain instantly. It's just it's a, it's unbelievable. I'm thinking right now about the comments James Franklin made, where we're not there yet. You know, we're 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 good, but we're not that level yet. When he was talking about Urban's Ohio State, and I feel like, well, maybe Ohio State's just designed to be different than everyone else. And you you, I'm not saying they've taken Penn State to the peak or anything like that, but it does. I don't think Penn State's peaked. I don't think Penn State's peaked. I think Penn State can continue to. Penn State can continue this. The, no, like, exactly. No, I'm not yeah. saying they're going to recede. I'm saying like this might this this is your apex possibly, and that's not because of Penn State. That's just because of Ohio State. I there is there is, I don't think there's any shame in losing to this Ohio State team this year. No, right? no, no. They're really really good. No, uh, not at all. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I, I guess... The one anonymous Georgia fan can log back in this week and, and drag our asses one more time. But my God, uh, um, I did watch this uh, exclusively on like a scoring app drive chart, which I felt like was definitely the best way to consume this game. Yeah, I wish. I um, tell me if I missed anything, because I don't think I did. I Texas A&M tried to play Georgia's game in the first half. That is just never going to work you're never gonna beat georgia if you if you play georgia ball if georgia doesn't beat itself now south carolina was able to do it because georgia beat itself georgia did right. not beat itself in this game at all um uh jake from now the weather was bad but jake from was uh like one of seven i think and he like t- uh, to start the game he like takes the glove off and at least figured some stuff out um we're we we joke about georgia on here and and that offense but James Coley 
schemed up some actually pretty fun stuff in this game to a point. Georgia took some deep shots on early downs. When Georgia needed to salt the game away in this game, uh, on the penultimate drive that ended up, uh, that Texas a was able to get them off the field on, uh, they had a nice screen pass at the backside on a third down that looked like a classic Georgia's gonna 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 not convert here. They're gonna three and out, and Texas A&M is gonna take the ball and and go down and score. They did not. Um, then on the next drive, that the I guess Georgia's final drive, they converted on that toss play that I guess Georgia fans love. It's it, it's like a staple. Goes back to you know Herschel Walker days. But somebody was in my mentions, and it was like because of Georgia's offense, that toss play looks like a trick play just because it's misdirection. It's something <laughs> you're not expecting. Um, right. In the second half, AM did what I think uh, they should have been doing the whole game. Which is what? Uh, they came out and they they attacked. They, they really went after Georgia and they said, if we're going to lose, we're going to kind of go down in this blaze of glory. And there was one of those drives in the second half, it was like, First down, short gain. Second down, short gain. Third and eight, first down. And it was like, what? where did this come from? Because Georgia's defense doesn't usually do that. You usually can't convert long third down situations against them. Uh, but Texas A&M covered the spread and lost the game, which I think was the accurate assessment of what Texas A&M yeah. was going to do before mm-hmm. the game. Uh, Georgia will tear Georgia Tech limb from limb next week, and and it is now on to the SEC championship game. Uh, I guess well, I guess so Georgia goes twice in a row back in Atlanta. I have no idea where the game is next week. Uh, ooh, uh, old-fashioned hate? I think it's in Athens. I'll, we can vamp for a second. Um, if old-fashioned hate is in Athens, then, uh, Georgia, has Georgia left the state in, what, three weeks since the cocktail party? Um, it's in Atlanta. It's in Atlanta. I don't think Georgia's left the state since the cocktail party. Um. Curious. I can tell you as soon as my Google Fiber decides to be cooperative with me. Um, so they went to Auburn. Which is sort of not, which is kind of like not, which is barely, yeah, which is barely in Alabama. It's basically Columbus, Georgia. That was not, I didn't mean it to be that mean of a joke, but also y'all know. Um, (laughs) So courtesy of Alex Kirshner and the top whatever on the Banner Society's uh, read option, read option uh, newsletter. Amongst the funny stats that we've been pulling up and putting into the top whatever every week. um, I'm trying to think of actually, it's not so much funny. It's just, just pure depression. Jake Fromm. He completed less than half of his passes for 163 yards. Once again, Georgia won- wins the game. Uh, last week during the Auburn game, Ryan Nanny and I discussed this. All of these terrible performances, because they are buttressed by a particular kind of defense and a particular kind of clock control, in Kirby Smart's head, this is just nothing but con- this is like a, 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 a loop of, of reaffirmation. Yes. This is, this is, they think things are fine. I well, I will. I do not think a lot of them think things are fine. I think a lot of Georgia fans, because of the Georgia, the Atlanta that you subscribe to slash Georgia kind of schema of fandom in the last thirty years, I, I think Georgia fans understand that this is tenuous. But I also think that Georgia fans take a particular um, uh, pleasure in beating the rest of the sport over the head with this. And this yeah. is what I said last week. Like, when Florida was doing this in 2012, 
everybody knew that this isn't exactly the most sustainable way, and especially because of Florida fans, given the way Florida fans have been weaned over the last 30 years, right, also right. didn't particularly like it. But they were like, hey, 14-6 over LSU at home? Fuck you, we won the game. I definitely think that Georgia fans are going to cotton to that faster and, and with a little bit more affinity than Florida fans would just because of the history of Florida's program. Yes, Georgia um, has a lot more self-deprecation than, than Florida. But Trust me. I, I know that there are Georgia there are reasonable, clear-minded Georgia fans who understand that this is not going to be sustainable. I do think at the top with, with Kirby and his staff and the culture that they are trying to say, hey, this is proof of concept. We can win this way. Now, I think what will happen, because Georgia does consider itself to be a perennial national title contender now. Which they are. Is, yeah. Is that if LSU puts 44 on them, and they don't score any points, which is very possible, or they score, or I mean, if if LSU goes in there and we're and we're looking at like a forty-four to fourteen game, that will force the hand of it. They they will have to reevaluate. They will have to, because if you meet a defense, or if your defense meets an offense that they cannot stop, they cannot dictate terms to, and your offense has absolutely no capability of responding accordingly of getting up to that level, of being able to move that fast, move that effectively, use your talent and space, et cetera, yada, cliche. That would, you would think that would force Georgia to reevaluate. I'm curious, could LSU beat their ass so bad that they go and look at this entire season and say, you know what, abject failure, we have to start from scratch on offense. They should do that. They should. This is not Richard and I um, opining against good defense. This is just us saying, hey, guys, it's raining. You should get an umbrella. And it's going to be raining offense at the top level of college football for the foreseeable future. So you should get an offense to help you survive. Right. And, and I think the conversation would be different if Georgia had to play this way or if Georgia, like if Georgia could not get the talent to play whatever the hell way they wanted. It would be a different story. Because Alabama ran into this in the late 2000s. It was like, why are we playing this way if we can play a different way that's more, not appealing, because I don't think Saban gives a shit, but just more sustainable. Yeah, no, like I don't changing think. changing yeah. tide of the sport. No, the, fa- the facade had nothing to do with it. I don't think Kirby or Nick or, or, or must change. Like, I don't think they should care about the way this looks um, appealing-wise or on TV. I don't think they do. I don't think they should. I just think the most pragmatic approach when you can get all the talent one could ever want, which Georgia absolutely can, is to play in the most um, uh, uh, advantageous or or the, the style that best suits your athletes. I don't think Georgia plays in the style that best suits their athletes, and I don't think they're too far off playing that way because 2017 was just the other day. You would think, yeah. I just think it's been a bad year in terms of offensive structure and offensive uh, play calling and what the book has for like, Obviously, what their base, uh, you know, the play calling stuff that they start from every week and build out from, I, I think is aggressively vanilla. Obviously, they've had issues at the wide receiver position. I would posit out, hey, should you have not forecasted and seen that coming? Um let me add just a yes or no question. Are the offenses for uh, Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU the same? No. Okay. I I could have thrown Oklahoma in there, too. Those were the first three I thought of. Um, we are not advocating for uh, college football, especially at the top, to be homogenous. It's already too homogenous in a lot of different ways. 
I am not advocating for Georgia to be a 40, 50 point uh, team a game because I want to see the same thing all the time. I'm just telling you that there's an inefficiency here with a program that could be in that top five, top six perennial based on resources, yada, 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 money, da, da, da. And it seems as if they are stubbornly refusing to move in that direction. I know it's only been one year, but again, go back and look at the decisions that they made. And they had Jim Chaney before this, so it wasn't like they were necessarily embracing new concepts. The one, I, I, I actually think the one really fun kind of what if with Justin Fields is what if Justin Fields stays, do they do something that looks a little bit more like Oklahoma, which is where Oklahoma says, hey, we're going to control... Again, I've said this on this podcast before. The greatest trick the ever the devil ever pulled was making you think that Oklahoma this season is some high flying air raid team. Oklahoma is a counter based knock your ass run team. Don't yeah. get it twisted. And Georgia could do that if they had a quarterback um, that could they could involve in the run game. They could do QB counter, QB power, all that sort of stuff. Jake Fromm is not that guy. If they had Justin Fields, maybe they could. That's that's one of the interesting what ifs in the Justin Fields transfer you know scenario. I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to ask you to repeat again. What is Oklahoma's identity this year on offense? Oklahoma's identity on offense this year is to uh, is a counter based run scheme. Okay, LSU, you better not fucking see them in the first round. Yeah, because that is LSU. what Ole Miss absolutely rocked LSU with last week. LSU, you do not want to see the Sooners. You can laugh at me if you want. You better get somebody else, flat out. It might be fun to see a contrast in styles against Utah if they were able to squeeze in, and I know you don't want Alabama, obviously, but you better not see Oklahoma in the first round. You better not. Um, Richard, uh, I... Um, I gotta cho- I gotta choose how I'm gonna go about this. So I was sort of standing for Cincinnati, right? And then they they had some ugly games. And if last they don't, night, if they don't block an extra point and run it back, that game's going overtime. And then you, well, I mean, no. And then last week it's the it's USF with the field goals. Then in the post game, you see this real aggressive narrative. And this is where this is this is funny because this is where all the non football stuff where I live actually I think affects perception and voting and ranking and all this nonsense where they're like, hey, we win close games, right? You saw that really being pushed on social, in the write-ups, and the way that Cincinnati was talking as a team, as a coach, et cetera. We win close games. This is, you know, it's winning football. Yeah, but you are creating really, really thin margins for yourself in these games, and I think you are coming down to luck-based situations. I, like I said, <laughs> they blocked an extra point and ran it back. Yeah. You cannot count on that. Uh, no. You cannot count. Now, I will say of all the AAC teams, Temple can Temple can kind of Iowa you and drag you down into their style, and you sort of have to survive it if you're physical enough and you can run the ball, and they did. So it's not quite the aberration of like, man, you haven't scored a point and a half against USF. Um, Memphis rolled. They're fine. Um, I was making jokes last night because I had a bunch of people from Boise reaching out. Was this a murder smurfing? Because they were just absolutely destroying, suffocating Utah State. And no, it's not a murder smurf because Boise is a program that, you know, if they beat the crap out of someone in the Mountain anyone else in the Mountain West, that's the level of, I mean, you're Boise. But if Boise, I don't know how it could happen, Richard, but if Boise could sneak into that G5 at-large spot and catch like Baylor or Florida or one of those teams that's kind of ho-hum about being there, and and run through their asses that would be a murder smurfing i'm not saying any of that's going to happen i'm just saying i'm giving you clarity on the on the on the use of the term that's all yeah um just quickly i think i brain farted cincinnati returned an extra point did i say touchdown extra point no you said extra point all you're right, good there we go. 
Um, and just real fast, uh, hey, uh, Pac-12 Network, go fuck yourself. Yeah, would have loved to have watched the most exciting game of the week on a week that was not terribly exciting. Um, I, I, I mean, come on, guys. I don't know. I don't know. We, we can't really add anything to the, the discourse at this point, but it, sure, it, it is a gaping hole, especially on a week like this where the load is considerably lighter and you don't have as many options. So, um, Richard, uh, let's do a programming note real fast. Um, we are going to, so as we record this on Sunday, we are going to turn around on Monday for your holiday week and get out the tasting menu early. I don't know when the publication date is yet, but we are actually, Richard and Bud and I are going to get together tomorrow and record a Thanksgiving week edition that I would assume I would like to have up no later than Wednesday because that's, I think, the still the most traveled day in America is the day before Thanksgiving. So uh, we will have you guys stacked. And also, Richard, without giving any actual detail, please tease the other show that we have coming up. You may think that you know one of the most integral parts of the college football coaching hiring process, but our Monday show, we hope, our PAPN special, will give you kind of a different look into um, something that you may think you understand and that we all make a lot of jokes about. Beautiful. Thank you very much. I will see you and Bud on the tasting menu.